On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is Chasing Amy the best script Kevin Smith has ever written? Do our evolving identity politics make this a hard rewatch? What's aged worse, the dated perspectives or Ben Affleck's original teeth? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm John O'Peck, and joining me, we have Bluntman and Chronic themselves, Ryan <laughs> yeah. Betson from The Pop Culturists and Paris Conti from Gen New Gamer. How are you guys doing? I'm well. I guess I would be the the Chronic in this because Paris does have that Kevin Smith look to him, so he'd have to be yeah. Bluntman. The first time I went out for lunch with you, Ryan, and you brought along paris i was like oh Ke- kevin smith that's cool <laughs> who's this guy <laughs> and that's why you bring him on a kevin smith show was i wearing one of my hockey jerseys? yeah you were wearing a hockey jersey <laughs> and a backwards hat so <laughs> the whole the whole thing the whole thing yeah uh but no we should probably yeah. start with people who who don't know you guys explaining what you do i mean you've both been on the putting in work podcast so i'd recommend you check those out but paris tell us about the gen U program that both of you are involved with so Genu Gamer is a department that's been developed to help young people that suffer with various mental health challenges such as anxiety and depression, which usually leads to isolation. Uh, and also individuals that, some individuals that have autism or ADHD. And we use gaming, which is the thing that they love, the thing that they're mostly invested in. And we use that as the vessel and universal language to help them achieve the goals and wants that they have to reintegrate with society, uh, join their communities in a meaningful and, and effective way and communicate and develop interpersonal skills that allow them to get the, the jobs and mm. other goals that they have. Fantastic. And then, of course, the pop culturist, Ryan, your company, you guys do uh, commentary, reviews, chats, streams about video games and wrestling. Anything else I missed? No, that's pretty much it. We started as a lot more general in the content that we cover. Be like, hey, we'll cover mm. everything. And then eventually over time, just narrowed down to yeah playstation professional wrestling like they're the two things that we cover the most on our Mm. on our uh, two shows sure but i guess most importantly you're both kevin smith fans for the sake of today's conversation about chasing amy oh massive fan i know i'm personally like yeah i think paris i think one of the first things paris and i like um clicked over back in the day when we first met yeah hell yeah yeah that was was that actually the common ground we came together over because we have this sort of um underlying xbox versus playstation (laughs) war that happens every day but we found common ground to break bread over Mm. kevin smith and his his various creations very cool so chasing amy specifically this is kevin's third film if i'm not mistaken and from my perspective the most dramatic and serious of all of them i almost feel like it was a bad choice for a comedy podcast because although it's naturally going to have a lot of comedy in there being written by kevin smith it's like it's such an there's so many intense and serious scenes that the comedy is almost just like there to keep it like light instead of making it a full-blown comedy is that the way that you guys view it as well yeah, I think you're pretty accurate in that because, yeah, it, it is his most serious of his work that he's done and a lot of the comedy in here, as you said, yeah, is just to sort of like diffuse a lot of it. Mm. I think it's almost like he really wanted to make a more da- a drama serious movie but felt compelled to add that humour and that, you know, like that gross outy sort of stuff that he's known for because of the likes of More Rats and Clerks at that point. Yep. 
to keep the fans from rioting. Paris, you're a little bit older than Ryan and I. Let's start with, uh, I guess, our our personal experiences and, and memories of this movie. Were you a fan when it came out? At what At what point did you kind of get onto the train with this one? Yeah, so the first time I saw it, I didn't understand it. Like, I enjoyed it but I didn't get it. I didn't get the message. I didn't, I think I was, I probably got more out of the, the use of profanity and <laughs> those giggles that I got, you know, from using the C word and all that sort of stuff on a movie. Um, Cause I was, I was young when this came out. Thanks for bringing that up by the way. What, when did you see it? Do you remember? Uh, like, was it VHS? Was it cinema? <laughs> when it came to VHS. Yeah. So for those of you in the audience that don't know what VHS is, movies used to come in these wonderful little rectangular plastic boxes that <laughs> we used to stick in giant rectangular machines that would ultimately eat the tape. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was the entertainment for the evening. But... Um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember who I first watched it with because I think a big part of how a movie impacts me mm. is who I'm watching the show with and the running commentary that we have uh, through the film. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have watched it with either Craig or Simon. Actually, one of the things, maybe we'll talk about this later, but one of the things that I reflected on when I watched it again was how much it brought concepts into my life that growing up, as a white dude in Darwin of all places I was very isolated to mm. the whole concept of of being gay of um yeah a whole bunch of things that are brought up not to mention the fact that it happens in a city that seemed magical to me back then so yeah cool and Ryan what was your first impressions uh way back when I remember it, I think it was one of the last movies that I saw because I got into Kevin Smith a lot later in my time like it, it was really in my uh sorry mid high school years where it, where it came mm. through like one of the first ones I ever saw was uh Jay and Slump Bob Strike back on VHS as well at my friend's house I was like I like this because it's full of swears and it's bright and it's colorful and I'm nine um <laughs> yeah and then you know and then a couple of years passed and then Clerks 2 came out and then I eventually just you know started going through Kevin Smith's catalogue but I think Chasing Amy was one of the last ones I saw um, so I would have been about 18, 19 around when I saw it yeah I watched it on DVD at home and yeah and no, I really enjoyed it it hit a, it, I will get into this later but it hit a lot of beats that I really connected to and it is probably one of my favourite of all the Kevin Smith films for, mm. for reasons we'll, we'll, we'll discuss later. But uh, yeah, no, it's overwhelmingly positive. I, but back then my memories are incredibly positive towards it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think mine, my story is similar to yours where it was definitely, despite being one of his first movies, one of the last of the Ask Universe ones that I had seen. And I definitely remember it being one of my favorites because I don't know. I, it, there was just something about it that seemed like it wasn't as goofy as as Jay and Silent Bob, and it wasn't as rough around the edges, I guess, as Clerks. Yeah. It, it was kind of like Kevin Smith coming into his own as a as a writer in this sense, not just a filmmaker capable of doing what he did with Clerks on a small budget. And Mole Rats is another topic altogether, but I guess this is the one that was like, oh, it wasn't a fluke, you know. Even though Mole Rats is what it is, and, and a lot of people love it. This was the one that's, I, I guess, for me, like showing what he, he was capable of. And that's, I don't know if that's how I looked at it the first time I saw it, but that's definitely how I reflected upon it shortly after. And I don't know, I think just the, the story and the, the concept of somebody falling in love with a lesbian 
I found interesting because I was a big Weezer fan and they've got that song Pink Triangle, which <laughs> has a similar kind of topic. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of a cool concept. Not really getting all the themes and layers of what Kevin Smith possibly was trying to say in this movie. There's a lot of like politics that's going on and a lot of it has been talked about fairly constantly over the years as people reflect on, I guess, the evolving conversations around identity politics and that kind of thing so i think that makes this movie a really interesting rewatch what was it like for you guys to i mean you probably watch it fairly regularly if it's one of your favorite movies ryan but what was it like for you guys to rewatch it in the past couple of weeks and reflect on maybe how it's aged yeah so there are some things about it that haven't aged super well um i guess the the i guess the big concept of the idea is uh because even even within the, within the social groups within the movie, uh, like sexuality is was very considered very binary, as in you know, you know men and women or same sex. That's simply what it was. There was that no middle ground. Um, where this movie sort of, without even intending to, talks about like that that fluidity with like the you know, because I think if anything, um, Jory Lauren Adams' character is is more bi or just whatever you know whatever she d- chooses, which is awesome, but in that time and place that wasn't acceptable so there's a lot of a lot of conversations that take place in the movie that just wouldn't fit now and i guess yeah. making an assumption i don't know here, if they ever say that the word bisexual in the movie no they? no which is quite interesting because that's quite clearly what's going on but yeah, yeah so and because a lot of the a lot of the language a lot of the, the dialogue there is very much 1990 like six whatever the film came out um so a lot of that wouldn't be used here and now either yeah and i think you have to mention that it's like kevin smith's understanding of that world at that time based through the lens of his very limited experience with it and that's the point so the the entire movie is all about him uh sort of coming to terms with his own sort of like sexual identity i guess and sort of his experiences Mm. and just processing that and sort of his relationship insecurities also um so i guess there's that and then there's the other layer on top of it which is interesting that he's that he added that in later on but um yeah paris paris and i were having a bit of a chat at work and he's got some cool things about change yeah do i oh cool (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so like so i guess when i watched it the first time it was a source of information for me because it was such a a world that i was not uh accustomed to it was not one i understood and I guess when you when you're that age and you're you're watching it, you, you can't help but assimilate what you're watching as part of the lexicon of understanding. Oh, that's a big word for this day. <laughs> uh, of understanding of of the you know the concepts of sexuality, uh, gender bias, that kind of thing. And so I'm watching it. I watched it what two days ago, and I couldn't help but think, I don't think this movie could be made today. I sort of lumped it into the category of blazing saddles and Mm. and and movies like that where i found them incredibly funny as a kid but when i've watched them again recently i realized that they just don't fit in today's world and i felt many times that the whole subject of dealing with sexuality in this movie was clumsy purely because it was coming from kevin smith's point of view and i don't even know if the term bisexual was used in 1997 was it isn't that a more recent i'm sure it was but it may not have been something that people openly identified with yeah i mean it's it's hard for us any of us to know because we're not part of that world and we definitely weren't part of that world in 1997 no but 
my remembrance of 1997, or at least that time, was we were still in that sort of blokey bloke. Men had their position, yeah. mm-hmm. women had their position, and then if you stepped outside of those two norms, um, you were definitely a deviant. Not in the terms that that you're a bad person. I don't want to put in that term, but you were you were outside the norm, so you were a deviation. Like David from Bowie the norm. or something. Yeah, or uh, or um, Freddie Mercury, where like give you an idea of my understanding of of sexuality like that is I love Queen and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that Freddie was gay because it just wasn't something that came in, mm. in into my world um, but now especially today uh, that Ryan and I work with many individuals that um, see sexuality very much outside of the norm uh, gender fluidity transgender a whole whole bunch of different identifications and I was looking at this movie trying to trying to see where it fit in that model today and the and after I finished watching it on Stan it threw me into the um, the gay and lesbian part of the thing where it showed me all the shows that related to it and yet even right now, I couldn't, I, I can't hand on heart say that I think it's a movie about being gay. It's really In fact, not. That's no. it's not. No. Yeah, and I think Kevin Smith even said like this isn't a movie that gay people latch onto. It's it's more a movie about being a straight man coming to terms with his own insecurity, his own weaknesses, his ego, and his fragility, like his male fragility. Yeah, it's bottom. Because it's from his perspective. So, um, you mentioned this before we started recording Paris but you you were seeing that it's it's a it's a screenplay based on experiences of Kevin Smith's relationship with Joey Lauren Adams who plays Alyssa the one of the main characters in the film but also of uh, his writing partner Scott Mosier who had a crush on a a lesbian writer or someone that was in their kind of friendship circle and it was so it was a combination of those two stories in their real life being turned into a film um kevin smith's relationship being the one where she had experienced a lot more in her background than he had as this guy that grew up as a you know catholic from new jersey which is you know holden in this movie is kevin smith like he's a comic book writer he's you know he comes from the same background he is probably the closest character we have seen to kevin smith in a film i think and um i think that makes it interesting and i think that because it's from his perspective it's a movie that was the right had, i think it had the right message for that time where paris you say that you were like this was an education for you but the people in the film it's also an education for banky and for holden like they're learning all these things as well so as we said it's a movie for people like kevin and i guess by extension people like us as well to kind of learn all this yeah except i have one thing that i couldn't help sort of letting go after i watched it was apart from what i feel was a a pretty clumsy way of of showing lesbian relationships on screen even the way that she kisses uh, another girl was at first I thought wow that's that's really clumsy but then I saw her kiss Ben Affleck and I thought oh no that's just the way she kisses <laughs> but um you while there is a gay man on screen there is never that a focus on on a gay male relationship in the movie in fact the 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 major component with that gay character is that he has to pretend that he's not gay to get any recognition or any value of seriousness for the work that he does and that's that's lampooned in the movie mm. 
but it's and then I've sort of tried to look at other Kevin Smith films where he's brought the concept of gay men into the into his shows, but it's always been a joke. It's never had that that seriousness that he that he tried to put into Chasing Amy with uh, lesbian relationships, and and that I couldn't help sort of getting that out of my mind after watching. So on the top movie. of that, though, in a recent interview, he has um, had some discussions around around that. Uh, so although mild spoilers for you know, reboot, of course, but, uh, he has touched upon how, uh, Jay, uh, so not Jay, Silent Bob, it was actually main, uh, you know, is, will become a homosexual character in reboot or, a, or a sexually fl- fluid character in reboot. Right. So like, there is like, t- there is that touch upon now, whether that's handled seriously or jokingly, we don't know, but like those characters have been around and I guess it's the same thing. The only other, uh, sort of the, the male gay discussion in Chasing Amy is around, uh, is around Banky and at the end, you know, with mm. like the, his belief that the Banky may in fact have, you know, feelings for for uh, for Holden, which you know at that time was because I guess bromances really weren't a thing, so I guess that was just being you know misread, I guess. But no, you are spot mm. on. Like it has it has mostly been used as <clears throat> a joke because even if you think about Jay and Son Bob Strike Back, uh, there's that scene when they're got when they've got the monkey. You know, and they're talking to, you know, Will Farrell as the policeman, you know, Will and Holly, and they're like, you know, this is our, like, same-sex kid, and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's, it has always <laughs> been, <clears throat> like, that, that joke. That's certainly true. Well, just getting back to the reaction of Banky after there's a spoiler, that confrontation about, well, look, the only way we're going to fix this is if all three of us have sex. And Banky sort of says, uh, okay. And then when, when Amy goes, oh, hell no, he's like, oh, yeah. thank God. And and that was that was like, I don't know, that was more, I, I kind of felt sort of with my thoughts later, I kind of felt that was Kevin Smith going, whew, I didn't have to bring that up in my movie. <laughs> thank God, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. And no. I thought it may have just been a myth that, you know, the situation of like Banky being like, I'm so, like, you know, uh, Holden means so much to me as a friend. If this is what he needs, I'll do what he needs. He's my friend. And then it's like, we don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, thank Christ. I really want to do it. I just wanted to help my friend out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a lot more questions and categories to get into. So I'm sure we'll retread some of this territory in, in some detail. But uh, filmed for $250,000 budget. Uh, this movie ended up making 12 million so uh, it was i guess as i mentioned before a, a step back onto the path of success mm-hmm. for kevin smith after more rats didn't do so well do you guys have any guesses as to how critics received this as far as let's look at the rotten tomato score i think they loved it at the time at the time i think a lot uh, of indie fans i don't know like- if 1997 was ready for chasing mm-hmm. amy so I'm looking here and it's it's 87% fresh. So I know some of these reviews are retro, not retroactive, like have been done since the movie came out, like yeah. over the over the past kind of couple of decades. But generally, people loved it. And I think it was, I don't know, I, like I said, it, it wasn't an arty kind of thing, but for a, a film that's tackling such heavy issues to be done with, the levity that Kevin Smith can bring to it makes it a lot more accessible, I guess. And it wasn't exactly something that probably a lot of comedies were doing at the time. So see, I'm I'm wondering. Okay, I don't remember a theatrical release. Probably of not Chasing here in Australia. Amy. No. 
as I yeah. said, I I remember it coming out to home video or to DVD. We had DVDs in '97. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I don't think we did no, actually. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, um, there was a so, there was a theatrical release. It just probably wasn't a wide one like we would expect. Well, I was going to say like we would expect now, but I don't even know if Kevin Smith movies would get a wide release now. Yeah, I guess so because I oh, I guess the what classes art house in many many instances, but. Chasing Amy, I think in 1997 was probably something you enjoyed at home, but really didn't talk about with your friends. Maybe I, I'm not sure. It's mm. um, it's I, I think that score that you're talking about now. This is people looking at it today. They're coming back and they're looking at Chasing Amy, and they're and I guess they're looking at Chasing Amy through the uh, through a rose-colored glasses, if you will. So they're they're trying to think back to 1997 and think, man, you know, uh, well at least my opinion is that Kevin Smith was. You know, was was at the top of his game there. He was at the cutting edge kind of thing, but it doesn't relate to today, I think. Anyway, so yeah, odd. Mm. All right. Well, whilst we're on the topic of how it was received, just at the time, what do you think the number one song was on the Billboard American charts <laughs> when it hit cinemas? Oh man! Which I, I, I'm sure it was. It was April 1997. Oh, I guarantee what. House. Like, it's one of those things. It's like, if you think everyone thinks about 90s music as being so good, like, no, like a hundred songs from that 10 year spam are really good. Most of them are trash. So, I statistically, okay, so it's 95, trash. 95, a Tina Turner song would have been at the top, at least here in Australia. Are we talking about worldwide or Australia? 97. Uh, so, I've got the Billboard America and then the Aria charts as well, because it was a few months later oh. in Australia. Mm. 1997. Oh no, I've been eight. With wiggles. <laughs> it's. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It was a. It was a uh, hip hop artist. Hip hop artist. So like what, uh, Beastie Boys. Bo- Bobby Brown. <laughs> or he's changed his name a few times. Oh, Snoop Dogg. Hip. No. Ah, damn it. Okay, it was. It was Puff Daddy oh. featuring Maze. Can't nobody hold me down. I don't even know that song. And and then on the Aria charts <laughs> yeah. uh, in Australia, it was. Hanson Umbop. Yeah! Uh, there's one of your 100 bangers from the uh, 90s. I was Ryan. so close to saying Umbop too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. A quick round of what have you done for me lately? Ben Affleck's been pretty quiet. He's only done three movies since 2017. Justice League, Triple Frontier, which hit Netflix this year. And then we've got Reboot coming up with Jane Silent Bob. So they're the three. Uh, I guess he's been more active in his producer roles and, and directing and that kind of thing. So I'm sure we'll get um, some more quality from Affleck now that he's outside the DC And a multi-Oscar winner. Yeah, he's... But he, didn't I mean, he go into been, hospital? Yeah, he went to rehab hmm? semi-recently, yeah. He went into rehab just after he broke up with Batman with or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, I mean, God. yeah. I mean, he had a, a great stretch between like 2010 and, and Batman. Yeah, it was like the town. So, um, like there was... Uh, Gone, Gone Baby Gone, Gone Argo. And Argo and yeah, he had a couple of real Gone bangers girl. there for a while. Yeah. We'll get him back. He's a he's a great actor. I really appreciate what he, he does. Uh Jason Lee, who played Banky, professional skateboarder, 
most known from his Kevin Smith movies and My Name is Earl, I'd say, but he's mostly been and doing Alvin voice acting. And Alvin and the Chipmunks. Don't be, don't be dissing and Alvin and the Chipmunks. And the Chipmunks movies. <laughs> One of, uh, a couple of our oh, clients dude. would be very mad if we didn't address Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. Courtney's a big fan. <laughs> so yeah, mostly voice acting and then he's done the occasional TV movie. So he's not really a movie star anymore, but he's a known He's got that chipmunk money. He ain't going to do nothing. Yeah, he's got that chipmunk money. Uh <laughs> Joey Lauren Adams, who I will from here on refer to as JLA. <laughs> she, she's around. She's a very 90s actor. I mean, that's mostly what she's known for the stuff she did back then. But recently, past few years, she did 26 episodes of a show called Still the King with Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, big but hitters. But no, nothing, really, nothing else that really <laughs> oh, stands out. <laughs> with Billy Ray Cyrus. Now, there's, mm. there's a career to yeah. talk about. I mean, can Woo. you think of seeing her in anything post like 2000 not really like uh, i watched big daddy semi recently i'm like holy mm. crap you're in big daddy um yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only whenever she pops up in random films is what i kind of notice yeah and then dwight yule who played uh hooper x the yeah. black comic book artist he hasn't made a single thing since 2011 so that explains why you haven't seen him because i'm sure you haven't <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Jay and Silent Bob is the big film for Kevin Smith coming up and he's uh, had a, a few interesting film choices lately outside the Ask universe but uh, we won't talk too much about them because this really is a, a super like important movie in, in that universe because it introduces those characters that we mentioned of Holden and Banky and they come up like every few movies and it, it grounds like. it like that's the big thing like all the other movies are kind of silly and kind of weird mm. but like chasing amy is by far the most grounded of the lot so it kind of grounds everything around it even with dogma that comes next like the stupidness yeah. in there is still held real because of chasing amy yeah so what is the most 90s moment of chasing amy oh <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys even remember the 90s? So, like, how can you answer this <laughs> no, question? I'm going to say a convention being in a hotel <laughs> yeah. lobby. I actually had the comic book convention and just how, like, small scale yeah. it was compared to what it would be. Yeah. Like, these days, you wouldn't... No way. That, that would be, yeah. a, 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 a convention center. Yeah. Even that it was just based literally around comic books. Like, it was a comic mm. con, not the comic con. And it was... Yeah. It was just, yeah, people signing comic books which i don't know like i know there's a lot of people who still love comic books and i know that there's a lot of amazing work coming up but it's always kind of like the side attraction yeah. at these events as far as as my outside knowledge goes no, you're spot on every time we go into a con the comics get smaller and smaller i think for me it was the smoking yeah it was the the end of the era so where it was still smoking, okay yeah. for young people to smoke man and it was indoors cool. too uh, yeah yeah just everywhere yeah, yeah. so uh, it's it's funny you bring up the comic con like that that lady at the front that's dressed like a borg and at the end when you see the final comic comic you know it's a, a repeat essentially of mm. that comic con and, and she meets up with the guy borg who looks just as crap as her <laughs> and like we do, we only we just did packs not that long ago and you look at the amazing cosplay that happens there so there you go there's my 90s yeah. the <laughs> cosplay <laughs> awesome Paris did you ever go to any of these events in the 90s was that an option in, no. in Darwin no guessing not <laughs> no I was I was in Brisbane by that right. stage but at that point I was oh man I'd I'd 
I was all into girls and and a th- rugby league and actually I was working in a strip club back then so yeah that's about as far as you can get from a yep <laughs> <laughs> that's about as far as you can get from a comic con yeah no I was assistant manager of, of the cabaret club and sitting there reading so, Batman books while everyone that, that's around. a whole new podcast <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the moments that I had besides the convention were uh, that's the conversation in the CD shop where they're oh, walking around yeah. and it's just CDs everywhere and it just took me back <laughs> oh. And the fact that no one knew what f***ing was. That's very 90s. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess you could say that those conversations happening around sexuality, like and like what Paris alluded to before about this being an education, like that's a very 90s thing where nobody knows anyone that's been able to fill them in on all this. And it's you don't have the access to, I guess, a lot of people would learn through pornography yeah. and things like that, whereas wasn't a thing so much back then uh, using a payphone at a train station yeah one. remember that scene where banky is uh so um <laughs> yeah same scene ben affleck's all enamored by by the main character singing on stage and banky's looking around he's looking around this 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 nightclub or bar or whatever it is and he suddenly realizes that everyone kissing are all of the same sex and he has that like uh, aha moment and he gets that big smile on his face i think that was very 90s we all went oh lesbians <laughs> ah, you know, it was just, I don't know, it's, it sounds very childish when you think about it, but that's, you know, we, we didn't know what it was. It was all very exciting. Uh, yeah, I think there's new. two ways that can be seen, because it's like, oh, and then you also see, you know, knowing that Holden had been pulled here because he thought he was going to get with her, he's like, oh, oh, this yeah. is so good. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for this to happen. This is <laughs> punchline incoming. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm adding to that thing in a, por- a pornography when they're at the train station and he just opens a duffel bag with like 98 magazines magazines in it yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 shows it to a child that was the oh my god that movie's not being made today no, you cannot do that scene again yeah i do i want to give another shout out to the cd shop because i used to go down it wasn't the 90s i guess it was more like the early 2000s but i used to love walking around the cd shop and rifling through all the catalogs and you know having a listen to a couple cds yeah. and the posters and I've got, I don't, you can't see it behind me. There's a Blink-182 like styrofoam square thing that used to be up on the wall in the Capricorn records. <laughs> and I'd go in there like all the time. And the, as soon as it wasn't up on the wall anymore, I asked them about it. And they're like, yeah, you can have it. So still got it. And that's like 15 years later. Yeah, no, I have very fond memories of going through CD stores. There was a um, one in Taralgon that I used to go to like every couple of days to sort of go in there and sift through. And yeah, it's good times. Mm. Before mm. Spotify, you kids today have lost that identity. You know we'd, uh, we, you know you'd go to a CD store and, and wherever you were at that that was part of your identity, whatever yeah. section of music you were at. And of course now we'll never have moments like uh, a friend of ours, Craig, uh, a friend of mine and Ryan's, Craig. So uh, there was a moment where he and I were in a in a CD shop and the music was just blaring absolutely blaring and i'm thinking man i really need to let one rip i'm can i can sneak a fart out here while while it's like really loud and just as i let it rip the dude switches tracks so it goes la 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 and for like for like 10 years craig would look at me and goes i was there when the music stopped so there you go there's a bit of the 90s for you kiddies that's fantastic 
<laughs> Kids these days will never know what it's like. They'll never know. <laughs> the the mighty mighty boss turns having the impression that I get. Oh, in this Scar, song, that's nineties well. fuck. Yeah, you can't super nineties. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. we ha- we did basketball a couple months back, and yeah, that was <gasps> that uh, movie still holds another up. Another great, another great Scar soundtrack. <laughs> but uh, good to see Scar making a comeback in Chasing. <laughs> So I'm glad it's making a comeback in 1997. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's coming back onto this podcast. Any chance I get to talk about Scar, I'll take. What is the most iconic scene of Chasing Amy? Ben Affleck's monologue. Which one? The one he has in the car. In the car. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, in hindsight, it's it's pretty pretty gnarly to drop that on someone. Um, because that's a big spiel and it's huge, a lot of information. But it is like it is one of the standout moments in in the film, um, yeah. As as like we're about to get real for a second. As someone that was uh, very insecure, very subconscious, and very lonely um, as a teenager, that monologue was something that you know, like I dreamt of telling many people in my time. Mm. But yeah, because like even the final line of it is actually. Uh, so my wife, when we got married, her. Her vows were a collection of movie quotes that were all about affection. Oh, cool. And the, the the final line of it was, yeah, please know that I'm forever changed because of you and what you've meant to me. So obviously I have a very big connection to that in general, but yeah, yeah I'd, I'd probably consider that because A, it's an awesome monologue and it's almost, it, it's almost like one take. There's a lot of to and fro's, but it's pretty clean. Yeah, I'd probably say that's a standout. Really? Even more than the, the dialogue, what from where the show itself is named yeah the, chasing, chasing amy bit too. with i had cha- with I, Silent I had Bob. chasing amy as the most iconic scene for me like the, the way that like the first time you saw this movie you have to take yourself back and think silent bob was silent mm. you know he might have dropped a line or two but he just comes out with it and just delivers like a bang on perfect monologue in my opinion kevin smith nailed it in that scene and like you said, Paris, it's the name of the movie. It kind of is a seminal, or well, not seminal. It's 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 a crucial part. It's a turning point as well for Ben Affleck's character Holden to have that realization that he stuffed up, not the other way around. So that for me mm. is when someone says "chasing Amy," that's the one that I go to. There's one other that I want to shout out and it's jla just screaming in the rain like (laughs) yeah she is amazing in this film and we'll talk more about that later but yeah just her basically responding pretty much any time she screams at at holden which happens at least two or three times (laughs) it's it's always good she she does great in in terms of oh look i I don't know if this is gonna be a later question but and it's not a specific scene or specific dialogue but that whole point about um, Ben Affleck's character trying to understand the concepts of how it was okay for a, a guy to have sex with multiple partners, but when he found out that this girl had had sex with multiple partners, and it just it just blew yeah. his mind. Oh, that whole hockey um, scene, yeah. I, at, at that time, and I think even to, to today, just because of my upbringing and, and where I grew up, the, the concept of a woman doing those sort of things puts that person into the ca- category of a... I'll say the term a slut or something like that. Like I understood sort of that anger and that vitriol that he was feeling. And yet it was unrational to me. So I was very conflicted Mm. where 
there are many points in that movie that were were poignant to me, but yeah, I can't go past the the dialogue by by Bob himself. Yeah, you're not gonna not gonna give some shout out to Hooper X and his and his big spiel about Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, I, I loved it. <laughs> That's the most iconic. That's the most like the most iconic comedy in the in the movie for yeah. me. Like that scene in the in the convention center that ends in him pulling out a gun. Which <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that as well. And the what's a Nubian line? Like for some reason that just stuck with me. <laughs> All right, what holds up the best? Ooh. For me, it's the script. It's, oh yeah, in terms um, of the overall, Kevin I think it's about scenes. Writing. But yes, no, the, the writing, without a doubt, unquestionably. Yeah, just generally. I mean, the script, the writing, and JLA in general. She is awesome. Like I said that before, she was nominated for a Golden Globe for best performance in a comedy slash musical. Mm-hmm. I think this is definitely not a musical. She sings. Her, we, that's true. Actually, she does, <laughs> and apparently, she wrote that song. But um. The performance from her isn't a comedic performance even. It's it's almost it's a very much a dramatic role and she just crushes it. Like watching it back, it's not over the top. It's very emotional and it's it just works for me. I, I agree. I think performances across the board were pretty damn amazing here. Like even clerks as good as it is, you go back and you watch like Brian O'Halloran and it's it's it's, it's, it's stunt it's like a bit stunted in almost out of delivery it does feel like script reading um where yeah this feels very natural everyone kind of nails it really yeah there is a scene in the like when they're playing darts and some of that where it's some very like kevin smith clerks-esque dialogue like seinfeldian conversation happening about something or other and that was the only time where i had that same feeling from clerks where they were reciting lines that kevin smith had written rather than just being natural well, like but the, the difficulty is especially when you when you, and people are everybody's um, like magically witty like my wife's yeah. re-watching gilmore girls right now and obviously it's a very dialogue heavy show but everyone's just f-ing on fire all the time I'm like yeah that's not how it's the aaron talk. sorkin thing yeah it's the newsroom the social yeah. network it's the aaron sorkin style of writing that just it's like back and forth zippy as and People aren't really like that. But in Clerks, it's really obvious that these guys are... Fresh. I would Not not amateur, but they're yet to hone their craft as actors. Clerks 2 is perfect. Like, that's, that's yeah. fine. They've nailed it by then. But especially being a lot of people who literally aren't even professional actors. They're just people that Kevin Smith pulled in to, to jump on the camera in Clerks. But yeah, I mean, Ben Affleck's great. It's just that one scene where he, he doesn't quite nail it for me. But generally... He's really good. So I'll agree with, with what you say about the performances. Was there anything, Paris, that uh, stands out as holding up really well? Oh, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a bit controversial. I don't think the movie does stand up. Like, and I, I, I love the film. Don't get me wrong. But I love the film because of how it relates to me living through that time. And so I guess it comes down to what you mean by by holds up. And I think that if my son was to watch Chasing Amy, so he turns 20 on Monday. God, I'm old. Um, I don't believe that movie will have any impact on him at all. Interesting. He, he can't relate to that time. He can't relate to... Mm. like He could relate to the love concept. So if, if I have to say what's the one thing that holds up, it's the points about love through the movie mm. but everything surrounding that it's it's aging and it's aging badly so you don't think that young people will have any of those issues that holden does in this film about as i said before male fragility or ego or oh, yeah. 
putting or, or, or like holding their own like values as as universal instead of things that differ from one person to the next i i do to an extent but i feel yeah. that the version of being a male in 1997 is very different to the version of being a male yeah. in 2019 that's fair. I was going to say, for me, the introspection holds up really well. The the way that I thought Kevin Smith was able to identify his own flaws yeah. and put them on screen and and make make a movie out of it. Essentially, I think that there's still a lot of people, like as you say, there's kids that might not relate to it as much. But I think there's still a lot of adults, people like us, people who are even older, who are still stuck in that mindset. So it it might be something for them where they can take something from that. But is that like we are unashamed Kevin Smith fans. So for us, this is a commentary about Kevin Smith and that holds yeah. up for us. But when you look at the other things that he talks about in that film, I think he's way off the mark on, on many elements. And so for me, does it still hold up? Well, I think that's, I think you've got a good point there. Cause like, that's the issue that we're facing is that we, we don't live in, in that world. Like we are all, you know, heterosexual men. Like we, uh, as in, like we don't, we don't you understand. Speak for yourself, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But like, uh, in terms of, we don't understand that other side of the world. Um, that you know, these like what what Alyssa would have to go through, what Hooper X would have to go through, especially in that time. So I guess that's an even different thing. So if you were part of that, uh, if you're part of that community now, would you like? How would this movie reflect? That's that's the one thing I'm curious about. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess the themes of identity, the themes of hiding who you are and the themes of love stand up. But for me, I can't shake, and this is just me, I cannot shake that this is this is Kevin Smith working through his own thoughts. You know, this is, this is Kevin Smith putting out on film what he feels mm. about himself and his specific, his particular experience. And the rest of it was just used to tell that story. And for me, it kind of then detracts from that but all his movies are those those inner expressions of his and hence yeah. the uh the quandary of the whole <laughs> thing but <laughs> yeah i mean he did run a lot of it past the character that Alyssa was based on from the scott Mosier real life storyline so mm. it wasn't just completely him sitting in a room writing what he thinks you know lesbians talk like and that was it there was some consultation but things have as you mentioned changed so much then especially around identity politics and we'll talk about that a bit more okay later. cool <laughs> sounds like you've got something <laughs> so to about to jump in yeah. then. <laughs> uh so what holds up the worst paris you might have already hinted at that but there's something i want to throw out here quickly ben affleck's teeth i don't know if you noticed <laughs> no uh, <laughs> no oh you didn't notice all uh, right so watch armageddon and then watch this. Well, you'd have to watch the whole thing, but even just pull up a picture. He, he had like veneers done. Like in this movie, there's like, there's massive, like he's got gaps between his teeth and I'm not like teeth shaming him or anything. It's just funny because we know Ben Affleck now as this like, you know, Armageddon. What's a movie? Did Batman. Yeah, Batman. Like this, I was going to say he's a pinup, but he probably hasn't been since like the early 2000s. Daredevil. <laughs> uh, he's like this, you know, picture of a man what a man should look like but uh i think it was who, who who's the armageddon guy the bad boys the the uh transformers dude oh uh michael bay yeah michael bay i think michael bay did armageddon anyway someone involved in armageddon said we need you to get your teeth fixed if we want you to be believable as like the leading man of this huge hollywood blockbuster so next go. time you watch chasing amy have a look for for the uh the gaps in this teeth I was going to say that jumper he wears in that final scene 
all of the oh, scene yeah. where he's talking about, hey, let's all have sex <laughs> together. That jump was, oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, flannelette. No one really wears like flannelette like they did in the 90s. There's a very like knitted, like, yeah. There's a, there's a few questionable choices in fashion <laughs> space. Man, that was 1997, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, pulling a gun out at a Comic-Con <laughs> is uh, something that I don't know if that holds up well. Like, Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? Especially... Uh, I guess there's no other way to say this, but a black man whose whole shtick is an angry black man. Like, if someone like that was to pull a gun, the cops would be on them and beating them down so quickly that... uh... Except, except that by 1997, we were a lot nicer. We've actually gotten, as a society, I'm talking about generally, um, we've become more militant and back to persecution and all that sort of stuff. During that time, we were actually, that was like almost the pinnacle of our inclusionism, if you will, which is weird when you think about, we're talking about how the sexuality side of it was still very kind of hush-hush. But in terms of, of race, I think we were starting to become a lot more inclusionist is that a word it was only a few years after the rodney king riots though so i feel like it was still very oh, okay. much yeah, cool. an issue like race aside like anyone pulling out a gun at a comic con maybe it's because it's comic con there's not that actually that many people there <laughs> but he does but, uh, say it's all been cleared by his pr and his publicist so like it was all cleared yeah. it was a bit yeah, yeah i yeah. guess it, it's it doesn't hold up badly in that that wouldn't happen but can you just imagine that being in a movie now i feel like it probably would be a bit more controversial yeah, with yeah. phenomenon of like public shootings mass shootings yeah true but a, a, the comic con back then wouldn't have had enforcers as they call them at pax yeah. looking at what you what weapon you're bringing to see if it was real yeah you know, that yeah. just wouldn't happen where it's it's just commonplace today so mm. uh holding up badly what did you have ryan yeah i guess it's just uh, well, because I think I think the uh, the toughest part, as as Paris said, if his kid was to watch it, would be that circumstance of like, how come everyone's super baffled about sexual identity here? And I think mm. that is representative of the time. Like, you know, even when I watched it, I was like, why are they so baffled? And this was <laughs> ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah. Um. Because you know, like I, you know, I, I've like I've I've lived quite a liberal progressive life so um you know like like my my father's gay as well so like the the world around me has always been very open in that sense right so i've had no none of that oh what's this gay oh i've never had never <laughs> had that ever yeah so what about the the gay slurs like i know that the whole point is that banky is a super like offensive and backwards thinking yeah. person and i feel like that kind of is the only saving grace is that nobody thinks it's okay for him to talk like that that part i really do like and it's one of those things you watch him grow throughout the movie and like it becomes mm. he becomes better throughout it which is which is good um yeah i think they are still a little flippant compared to what you would expect now like whether it's hooper x or holden talking to him and dropping some of those slurs mm. i know that they're friends but i just feel like the climate around that has changed where it's a lot more like you just I don't think you'd see it in a movie, even if the point was to showcase somebody's prejudice. Try and think of the last time a movie had the word f in it. It was probably like the hangover or something. Yeah, it it's it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. But mm. the thing was, as much as I was just probably being very wrong actually, and the more that I think about it, about this more inclusion with, with race and stuff, we were certainly when we nineteen ninety seven was certainly still a time where using derogatory terms towards people that were gay were 
common vernacular, for want of a better mm. term, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, and I guess for me, the my upbringing has, you know, because of the, the people around me, like those words were never part of my vocabulary. So when I watch movies and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, well, okay. Because I just never spoke that way. That was me personally. But I also was aware that people around me would use that expression very openly. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up at all, actually. The liberal swearing, though, that, that holds up. Cause <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be really jarring for a young person to watch the movie and, and hear people talk like that because you just don't anymore. Even, like, as, as I mentioned before, I'm probably repeating it myself, but even though the point was to show that this character is is wrong i guess it's like when you watch a movie where they're dropping n-words and things and you know it's it's done for a purpose like a, a if a tarantino movie has an n-word it's because he wants to show this person is a racist and i think mm. that that's okay to i mean obviously samuel l jackson thinks it's okay i i think it's okay to to do that because it's it's not just trying to offend people or it's not trying to be hurtful to anyone it's just rounding out a character as a as a bad person <laughs> so with that said who do you think would be the most offended if this movie came out today probably most people <laughs> mm. I, yeah i think it would be people yeah not aware or from that time as as the example paris used earlier was blazing saddles like for many many young people they'd be like how is this made like um i watched police academy a couple oh, yeah. of, uh, about a couple months ago i'm like oh you don't hold up well <laughs> you're still funny because i watched you went back in the day but ooh. i actually think middle-aged white people will be the most offended today <laughs> I yeah. just do. I, I, I like. I, how dare? How dare they think like that? We're we're very we're very understanding people now. We don't talk like that. I I, I, I think I think possibly the gay community would just laugh it off, or and maybe even the black mm. community would just go, "You've got no idea." But I think I think white people, white straight white people, would be the most offended by this movie. Yeah, today. a lot of straight white people being like, <laughs> "How dare they talk about black people?" Yeah, and, you know, yeah. They they <laughs> they must be so offended. They're like, "No, they're yeah. fine." You can't use that word. Um, That's their word. You know, it's like yeah, you know, this political well, I don't Poli- think, policing them not self yeah yeah it's not political correctness it's it's almost like trying to prove that we're not racist or homophobes by defending everything that we see as as a slur against other mm. people you might actually be right there i was gonna i was gonna say the gay community but it might be the people who are standing up for the gay community that are more offended <laughs> yeah because you'll yeah you'll, unless it's like a hate crime you'll find most of them are pretty chill yeah it, it might be the, the left media <laughs> Although, here's a question for you. That scene where she's explaining that she's found someone and she's with Mm -hmm. her her gay friends and they're like suddenly realize that it's a dude and you could could suddenly hear a pin drop in the room and and they were like offended that she was now with a guy. Do you think that would happen today? No, I don't think there's an I don't think there's an, an us versus them yeah. in that same sense I, anymore. I think that's one of the things that also holds up badly. Like that scene just feels so weird, and I think that and well, it's mostly because they're they're mailing stuff like in the post. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. weird. What, what, what are those envelope things? What is that? It goes back to what one of you guys were saying before, where like it was you're either gay or you're straight, and there wasn't a bisexuality yeah. thing, and that's why she had such a hard time hooking up with Holden to begin with was because she had formed this identity that, well, if I'm not straight, then I must be gay. And that was like turning her friends like on their heads, them thinking we've lost her. She's no longer one of us at all because Mm. that conversation 
wasn't happening. Now, was that what it was like back then? I can only assume Kevin Smith got some advice from his friend to say that, that perhaps it was, and that's changed a lot since then. From my limited view, I think it really was. I, yeah. I, I think there were the those camps. Whereas today, there is the the argument really now is if you love someone, it doesn't matter who they are. I think that's more of a that's more of a theme to to this discussion around sexuality today that wasn't around that was the back big then. Whole campaign about the the same sex marriage last year the whole love is yeah love is love whereas back then it was really i love the same sex and and that was the defining character as opposed to or i'm attracted to the same sex that was the defining thing as opposed to i love this person Mm. and and that's what's different today yeah i'm gonna skip forward to a question that seems relevant now could you make this in 2019 and what would that version and I think you said Paris that you just couldn't before and I'm, I tend to agree <laughs> uh, in its in its current format yeah and I think to try yeah. and make it again it would be so far from the original that it just wouldn't be the same thing it's mm. more in line with it would have to be more in line with Brokeback Mountain I think yeah I think it would just be fraught with disaster and stepping on so many eggshells because there's so many ways for people to identify now that everyone kind of has a different definition and, and that makes it hard for an artistic depiction to really satisfy everybody. There's always going to be someone that has an issue with it. And there's a good example in the last month or so as, re- as of recording this where the Netflix series Big Mouth got absolutely slaughtered for attempting to define pansexuality and not getting it exactly right according to some people and they had to come out and apologize and say like we understand we haven't completely got it right and we apologize and I think that to do this now, there would be so many people that would say this is perfect and then so many people that would say that's not how I see the world, therefore you've offended me and it's wrong and it's misrepresenting us. Yeah, that is a more issue with society as a whole. Mm. They're like, hey, this doesn't match my exact view. Well, then that's it's not for you, man. Like that's, that's that weird balance right there. So this movie could totally be done now. However, some drastic changes would need to be made, of course. Like the, as I said, the big key themes in this movie are based around, yeah, love, sexual identity, um, you know, un- understanding self, you know, confidence, like those sort of inadequacies in someone. And I guess for the, as it stands right now, the, one of the biggest issues is, yeah, people aren't willing to face their, you know, their own inadequacies in many numerous ways. Mm. And, I think that's what what a lot of people are digging down when when it comes to social media and those discussions and those vocal minority. A lot of it is people, you know, just digging deep because they don't want to change how they're thinking. I think that's a lot of that's you know, yeah. psychologically, a lot of that stems in that feeling of insecurity and feeling for you know attacked because of the way you think or believe and that's why a remake of this you know if they were to remake it they would have to change so much it wouldn't be as binary you are correct and as is paris you would have to change some of its like you'd have to change it in such a way that it wouldn't be chasing amy anymore Mm. but it is doable in some sense i think to get the impact of this whole idea of being in love with a, a woman um, that was in that Chasing Amy, I think you'd have to replace it with, I've fallen in love with someone that loves cars a little more than... <laughs> you, you know, have, have you ever seen a documentary of someone that like has sex yeah, with cars yeah, or, or yeah. inanimate objects? You'd have to take it to that next degree where the, that subject <laughs> is so taboo now that everyone in the audience is on that discovery sort of phase that I was like when I watched it because there's, there's too, too much opinion now about what being gay is or what love is. 
would you consider if they were to retell the story you know this is not a loaded question anyway this is just like what would if they were to retell the story of someone falling in love with a trans person oh okay um i think that could work yeah. yeah i'm trying to think of the last time they sort of addressed it was what the crying game i can't think of the last time they had a <laughs> that was um, like 94 or something yeah but, uh, there's a i know that he's not a popular topic anymore but louis ck has an episode of his show where he i love i still love louis ck okay. i'll put it out okay. there still fair anyway you might know what i'm talking about where him and this girl have probably ju- presumably just slept together and the next morning they're talking and she kind of jokes about being trans and he's like well hold on a sec are you serious and then she's like well why would you have a problem with that and then you can't tell if she's messing with him or if she actually is but it, it becomes like a interesting discussion of that kind of direction and i think that is where that movie might, like might go if the one that you're yeah. suggesting right yeah i think it'd be a good twist on it so rather than talking about you know because i see in terms of sexuality being very most people are pretty chill with sexual fluidity as the, the term is but people right now a hot button topic is gender fluidity right so how would if, if they wanted to tell that story that was socially relevant i think gender would be a well a uh, uh, staggeringly more important topic than sexuality everyone's kind of cool with sexuality now <laughs> cool 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 okay does chasing amy pass the internet relevancy test i.e are you seeing it in gifs are you seeing it in memes i'm thinking no no really no no we we found some gifts in our chat but that it's because we went hunting yeah, for like, what like, two yeah if you search <laughs> chasing amy there's not going to be ones that show up that you see all the time and if you for example search jay and silent bob the vast majority of them are going to be from different movies they're not really mm. iconic like there's not really iconic reactions and stuff in this film does that mean kevin smith is yes. no longer relevant <laughs> It, it just uh, it just means that this film wouldn't be known via osmosis like a lot of comedies from the nineties might be. It's yeah, that's true because you know the big part of culture right now is you know is the memes or the, yeah. the memes if you want to say it dumb because um, it's fun. Um, yeah, and if something can't be memed, then they're like, well, what's yeah, you know, it's the point like of that it? loses yeah. its relevance almost in, in instantly. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the things is chasing Amy is is a is a movie of its generation but it's not a movie of its generation like the breakfast club or ferris bueller's mm-hmm. day off or mm. it, it it didn't define a generation it was it, it was a niche part of that generation um and i guess that's why well like clerks because clerks as an example like clerks is probably within that same window as well because it everyone understands working in a job yeah. or working behind a counter and hating it so like there's some universal themes mm. here but because as you said paris this is so specific in some parts of this movie it can't be that widespread appeal in terms of having it something being a gif or a meme yeah and i said before like the movie made 12 million dollars off a, a very small budget that's not like ace ventura money or austin powers money it didn't make hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars it's yeah, well Ke- kevin has never made that yeah. that level of money i think he's his ceiling's about 30 million yeah, it's like a cult kind of classic i guess yeah. from that perspective so how would adding smartphones on social media change this movie? Uh, Hooper X wouldn't have called from the bar on a landline. That's for sure. You would have just seen this. Bing! Yeah, oh. I think a lot of uh, Holden and, and JLA's, uh, Alyssa's conversations might have just happened over text. 
like those really serious conversations yeah hooper x would be more effeminate and there probably wouldn't be that black power side to him i think the identity of strength would have actually been his his being a gay man in in terms of when you think about how we use this technology today uh i don't feel there would have been that whole scene with the gun at all <laughs> yeah he, he would he would have just hold up a hold up twitter and everyone would, everyone would be like ah mm. and just fucking freaked and just left the room <laughs> yeah yeah i think as far as the story like there would have been a lot of facebook stalking happening i, th- <laughs> I think that yeah. the oh, first time actually- the first time they meet you know the first time holden and Alyssa meet and they kind of have that night at the bar where he falls for her he would have been, gone home stalked her and been like yeah. oh there's a lot of photos of her with women yeah yeah and he and that maybe there would have been a post from you know because that's the thing right now you know the social media scrub everyone goes back 10 years whatever and you would have gone back 10 years and you would have seen that she was called finger cuffs like way before some random cutaway and and banky wouldn't have had bags of pornography it's all on his phone it it would never have come up as as a as a moment in the movie because unless they panned away to banky in the toilet or something looking at his um uh, (laughs) looking at his phone or something and Banky probably would have... Uh, I guess he was still in the closet, but I was going to say he might have been on some of those apps to, to find some hookups. Maybe Tinder, maybe... Yeah, put some Tinder in, yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Some useless trivia I want to throw at you guys yeah. before we, we round out the show. Apparently, Miramax wanted to cast some people in this film who already had celebrity status. So, John Stewart was one they threw around. David Schwimmer and Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Can you imagine replacing Affleck, Jason Lee, and JLA with John Stewart, David Schwimmer, and Drew Barrymore? That'd be gross. It would be such a different film. Ross from Friends I and Drew Barrymore. I could see Drew Barrymore doing it. I could see Drew Barrymore doing it. Yeah. I could see her pulling it off because she's amazingly talented. Not to say that Schwimmer and Stewart aren't, but I don't think no. they bring to this the credibility like, that nah. Affleck and Jason Lee would. I would presume that like Schwimmer would have played would have played Holden. Uh, I don't know. I can't imagine like, Schwimmer what, they, dropping they make, like, like gay slurs. He would. Yeah, I don't think they'd make him banky. I think they yeah, would. They wanted actually, that sort you're of right. Like, yeah, John Stewart being kind of the comedian at the time maybe gives that gets that more comic relief role yeah it wouldn't have worked i don't think ultimately i don't think the naivety and the innocence being shattered would have been the same Mm, definitely i think affleck being so young and fresh adds a lot to that role too uh speaking of affleck being young and fresh this is the steve buscemi spark plug award steve buscemi a real spark plug and Matt Damon is in this movie for yep. some reason. Yep. <laughs> this is pre yeah. Goodwill Hunting. It's pre him being a huge movie star and obviously great friends with Affleck for, for many years and a relationship with Kevin Smith via Mallrats, I guess, with with Affleck. But it's how weird is it seeing just Matt Damon in a random cameo with uh, with Dante? Was it, with Brian was it, with O'Halloran, Brian yeah, one of the yeah. one of the Hicks, yeah. one of the Hicks family. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. It caught me off guard the first time I saw it. It's like when you, if you ever go back and watch um, Jersey Girl, right? Yeah. Like Jersey Girl, it's the same thing. It just ends with Will Smith at the end. Like what the? Yeah, that was a bit more. Like Will Smith was a huge rock star at that point. And no, but I mean, like it's just that it just it's that cameo yeah. that kind of throws yeah. you out of it. I guess it's only a thing in hindsight because, like, at that time I've been like, who's that dude in the back? No one knows who yeah. that guy is. But now you're like, that's Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I just wanted to mention Matt Damon. I don't think 
he's on screen or does enough to win the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. But the, the, the more serious nominees, we've got Dwight Ewell, who plays Hooper X. He's lighting it up. He might be in the movie too much to be considered a spark plug, but he does a great job. Ethan Supley, or Supley, can't remember how you pronounce that, who... Oh, the tracer? No, it's... Uh, for lack of a better term, oh, no, no, he's the, the massive know, he's like the fat guy. Show, yeah. yeah, the guy yeah, that's... Yeah. We, we know him as Randy from My Name is Earl. He's lost so much weight yeah, now. The, he looks amazing. He's the sailboat guy in more Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's in like a ton of these movies. Remember the Titans. He's great. He's a great actor and looking really fit these days. But him being at the start and end of the movie as the kind of bookend to the comic con scenes, he's quite funny. But I don't know if he steals the show. Scott Mosier is the, the I was going yeah, to say Mosier and his mustache yeah. is the Tracer guy. <laughs> He's quite yeah. funny. And like Casey Affleck just casually being the next guy in line as well. Holy shit, is that Casey Affleck? In the next- yeah. Oh, yeah, damn. It is. it is. He doesn't really do much. But uh, the guy that you might not have heard of who I think is the front runner for this award is John Willie Young, aka the finger cuffs guy. <laughs> he, tells that, <laughs> he tells that story outside the quick stop, which is a great scene. And he just he sells is so it. confident and he just nails it. And you can just see, yep, <laughs> that's the guy from high school. He hasn't changed. Yeah. I love his portrayal in that monologue. Yeah. And yet, going back to your if phones or social media changed, that his whole scene would have just been a, a segment on a Facebook a post. Yeah. It would have been like, yeah, exactly. It would have been a post. Yeah. <laughs> or a private <laughs> message maybe. But yeah, that's... A Snapchat. So, does anyone object to giving John Willie Young the award for the Spark Plug Award? I'm disappointed that, that Moja's mustache ain't getting it, but um, yeah, no, he's, he's fine. <laughs> yep, yep, sure. I think this guy's been. I think this guy's been in a lot of Kevin Smith movies too. He might be like a cousin of someone. One of the background guys. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, shout out to John Willie Young. Last question: Is Chasing Amy still a good movie? With nostalgia in mind, very much though. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just just because of nostalgia. Uh, oh. Is it is it a so you you probably sound like your thoughts have changed the most, Paris, yeah. since you've rewatched this. Yeah, like you yeah. said it doesn't hold up, but does that mean it's not a good movie? I guess that's a different question. It, See, it, for me, I think like the topics they talk about, they, I think they are still issues, but the politics have have aged so poorly with how much more awareness there is now with how much more vocal people are on the topic and how many more platforms there are for people to outline their ideas which Mm. in turn inform how wrong the movie was at the time but yeah i think it depends on what lens you're looking at it through so as a commentary of 1997 um possibly not because it's so so linked to new jersey and it's so linked to kevin smith that it, it doesn't but if i'm looking at it through the lens of an evolution of kevin smith as a storyteller and a director it certainly does stand up it's 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 an important milestone film within his career mm. but i guess maybe because I, I don't know if i'm the most recent to watch it again out of you guys because i only watched it a couple of days ago i walked away from it i guess maybe because i had such a, a huge gap between the last time i watched it and this time I obviously didn't understand it as much as I as I have this this recent time, and I don't know. I just don't feel I don't feel it speaks for 1997 anymore, and thereby it just doesn't stand up. Hmm. That's just me, Ryan. Rebuttal. 
Uh, no, I think he's spot on. Yeah. Like I said, I, th- there are points that I can't argue. I'm like, but the only response I have is, but I like yeah. it. Yeah, well, no, look, I, I like the film, but that doesn't mean it stands <laughs> up. It stands up for me, but no, it doesn't yeah. stand. If, if I go, someone goes, hey, what movie should I watch from Kevin Smith's library? Yeah. It's, it's actually dropped quite a number of places now because of what it is um, in terms sure. of what I yeah. see Kevin Smith is today. That's actually a good point because like, it would still sit within my probably my top three of Kevin Smith. Um, which was yeah, which is... Clerks Two, Number One, okay. Clerks Two, Number One, then uh, More Rats might be number two, uh, and then Chasing Amy, mm. or if Chasing Amy might be second. Dogma. I don't remember what my list was. See. I got Dogma in the top three for sure. Anyway, oh, yeah, nah, yeah. Dogma sits always at the back end for me because it's really tough to rewatch. Okay. Brilliant film, <laughs> but no one's like, "Hey, you want to have a really good time and watch Dogma?" I mean, I have to do that because I haven't watched it for a while, and this is the rewatch yeah. show. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Uh, I, I think that it's like it is so central to the film that it might be hard to do. But if you were to remove sexuality altogether from this, the message for Holden is still really on point for me. Like not to judge people for their past, accepting who they are, loving the person for who they are, and not trying to change them. And then for Banky, it's more just about like knowing yourself and your identity and being able to see like where's your anger coming from and like yeah and exp- and expressing your feelings yeah. to, to others so i feel like those that that's what i take away from the movie uh because i'm so far outside of this world as we've mentioned it's not a, like gay politics aren't something that come up in my everyday life because of just the people that i'm around most of the time and my own life so yeah, I think they are messages that I watch and I go, okay, that's what I can take from it. So ultimately, yeah. I think the movie still works. It's what I'm saying. <laughs> as much as the internet would have a field day if it came out. Well, I, I still love it in the way, because even if you take away the sexuality stuff, it is one of the first like real bromance movies you know what i mean and it actually touches mm. upon it in a really good way and you're right and yeah. like that's very similar to like clerks too when you get to that and that the end the big final scene with dante and randall and they they actually are able to express their feelings for each other you know as in the love they have for one another in a non-sexual way and that's i think that's kind of a adding to the progression of kevin smith because that's the, what the conversation should have been here between banky and hold and it should have been like you know like we work together you know we, we do all this stuff together we love each other but di- but that we don't want to like smooch you know what i mean <laughs> but i guess that 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 nuanced conversation couldn't happen then hmm. we've been rad if it could so that's one of the big standing points for me yeah i think that's a good good thing to end on clerks too that could be our next one of our next kevin smith three watches this so 2007 i, I don't know so actually that might be one of the ones that we get to when we do the 2000s eventually we're gonna work our way through the 90s we'll get there <laughs> what's next mel mel brooks shows where we discuss <laughs> whether we can tell jew jokes now yeah <laughs> uh, i mean i have got uh robin hood men in tights on my short list so ah, I, what about I can't remember if there are... <laughs> that might be an, an 80s comedy rewind episode that's upcoming but anyway for now thank you dear listeners for checking in with us thank you for those itunes reviews keep them coming they, of course, help people know about us. They help get the word out there and they make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And, of course, our Patreon producers as well. You guys are the the wind beneath our wings. So, much love. If you want to let us know what you thought of this episode or of Chasing Amy and our interpretations of this film, you can let us know on social media. 
I'm at Johnny himself. Fellas, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at HaggardMC, H-A-G-G-A-R-D-M-C on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on all the pop culture stuff, wherever that, that can be found, YouTube, that sort of whatnot. Paris, do you want to be found? <laughs> not not at this stage, just because I'm, I'm currently working on a podcast project, so it's all coming together. So I have no mm-hmm. contact at this point. <laughs> Do you want to do you want to plug? I did see just a post for the Gen U Gamer podcast. Is that something that you've been involved with? Uh, that's uh, I, I'm actually on the latest episode, but I think Ryan should plug that as Ooh. it's his baby. Yeah. So as as we discussed at the start of the show, both both Paris and I work for uh, Gen U Gamer. So if you want, go follow those uh, follow the guys over at Gen U Gamer on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, you get to see a lot of our uh, our guys do uh, guys and girls do really cool. Uh, whether it be talking about what they love, whether it be sharing their thoughts on what they love, just pictures and things, it's it's a great way to see a incredible section of the community that don't normally get to put mm. their stuff out there. So um, beautiful, please go, please go check it out. Yeah. Especially right. with with that last episode of a young man discussing going to PAX, where not that long ago going to PAX would have been just a, a dream. Just couldn't have yes. done it. Right? Yeah, even even just being too overwhelmed to go to the you know shops or something, yeah. and then to go to packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode won't be going live for quite a while, so you can definitely still dig back to that one and, and whatever's come out <laughs> since then. But uh, for now, dear listeners, thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. As always, be kind. Is that a be kind rewind reference?